Hello and welcome to episode 423 of the Crate and Crowbar, a gaming podcast being recorded on the 1st of August 2023, a date that shall no doubt live on in infamy as the day the takes came. <laughs> Delivering these earth-shattering verdicts on the hottest of hot games is our very own Apinimus Prime, aka Tom Senior. Hello. And joining him is his timeless foe, the baleful and terrible Megarong, aka Chris Thurston. Hello. I am, of course, the semi-tragic comic relief robot Mumblebeans, <laughs> otherwise known as Marsh Davis. Why was this introduction sort of Transformer themed? No one knows. But perhaps a more important question is, what vehicle slash disappointing household object would you turn into if you were a Transformer? I would turn into a little caddy that you keep your toothbrush in and is impossible to clean. <laughs> uh, I'd be some sort of dilapidated speaker that can only play a very irritating register. <laughs> what was the noise you made during the sound check just before the podcast? What? Um, the, uh, yeah, that's it. That's the noise that's the speaker makes. That's, so actually, it's, it's weird that you bring that up, Tom, because uh, right before recording this podcast, I had a long bath. Um, and that's why I thought of a bathroom object when asked that question. <laughs> and um, But crucially, uh, while taking a bath, I also bring in a, a Bluetooth, an ancient Bluetooth portable speaker I have, so I can listen to music while I'm in the bath, mm. that screams when I switch it on every time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's pairing it's pairing noises like, <laughs> and um and which is going to be i'm just i've just seen the noise that made on the waveform <laughs> the sudden yeah. horror of sentience <laughs> sorry for that yeah exactly Why have you brought me into this world <laughs> mother <laughs> you don't want to listen to mazzy star in the bath you sad bastard <laughs> listen to something fun Ah. Uh, anyway, but yeah, so it's just, it just strange to me that, that's, that that thought has occurred to me twice in one evening, really. So thank you for that, Tom. <laughs> no, my other than that, other than the screaming Bluetooth speaker, I'm, I'm as relaxed as it's humanly possible for me to be. I've been very warm and damp uh, for half an hour. I've had grapes for dinner and a little glass of Shiraz. So I'm ready to have oh. no opinions about anything whatsoever. You want grapes in several forms. Exactly. Excellent. I'm a grape. It's a grape. It's <laughs> <laughs> Do you transform from a grape into a toothbrush caddy? Yes, yeah. it's um, it's kind of like an animorphs thing. There's like a kind of grady, there's like a gradation between the two, and I'm perpetually stuck in the middle. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> that's the tragedy of my life. Um, yeah. But here we are. So, have you been playing any video games? I've been playing the new Final Fantasy game, the 16th edition, mm. Mm. Um, and it's it's okay. I would say actually. Um, <laughs> As a series, I find Final Fantasy quite interesting because it's quietly, um, quite experimental. Like it doesn't keep the same combat system generally. Um, it kind of brings up new RPG ideas into each uh, edition of the game, and obviously each game is set in a different universe that's sort of on the verge of ending. Um, uh, I, probably the saddest thing about this one is that it's set in um, fields, uh, just big. <laughs> extremely ordinary fields, <laughs> the sort I could wander out outside. Uh, at any moment and experience a better field <laughs> just outside my house um so the series of fields linked by villages there there uh there's an enormous class struggle between people who can channel magic using their flesh who are called bearers and they're branded and uh, generally just chat upon by society and there are magic wielders who use crystals um and 
in between all of those, there are these uh, huge god-sized beasts called icons who um, tend to go to war and actually sort of uh, make everybody's, everybody's lives miserable. That means that the best thing about the game are these absolutely huge fights between these creatures that are, one is literally one called Titan that's just the, it's the size of a mountain and you get to sort of fight them um, between the fields and the slightly boring villages. You could transform into these giant creatures and um, just kick the shit out of each other for, for about 10 minutes. Um, and that's almost worth the entire game, <laughs> to be honest, those bits. The, the, like, the scale and the sort of like production values you could put behind the video game fights these days are just amazing to me, really. Um, and that seems to be like, it's kind of these kaiju battles, the kind of main reason for Final Fantasy sixteen in particular to exist, because they just get to be bigger and, and flashier than any of the previous entries. It's so notable for having a good third-person combat system as well. So it's not turn-based, this one, uh, as many of them are, or like m most of us sort of semi-turn-based, active time battle, they always called it. Um, but it's, this one, you've just got a big old sword, and you hold on a button, set it on fire, and then sometimes you can turn into a phoenix and just incinerate some dogs that you happen to find in the field. Um, so in between, you know, just absolutely battering wildlife, um, you have some quite tedious conversations and, and exposition between some pretty two-dimensional characters are all very sad all the time because um, these awesome god battles are happening and they don't think they're awesome at all. <laughs> they're very, very sad about the big god battles, but as a player, I'm delighted by them. And uh, it's kind of almost worth... Um, if you don't want to play the full thing, just probably they'll end, those battles will end up on YouTube. It's worth, worth watching them just for the sort of monster design, the amazing special effects. Um, it's a kind of... Uh, one of the, the earliest fights, it's a kind of... Um, you know the fight between like Gandalf and the Balrog, mm. uh, where they're sort of falling through this infinite chasm uh, for like in the space of, you know, between the two films. You, know, you see, obviously, Gandalf fall in one film and then it picks him up in like another film like years later and is you get the impression that he's just been dueling this thing in these this vast subterranean space for years and the, the first fight is kind of like that it's like the phoenix versus ifrit and it's just really cool those those moments so here's the thing tom i've, I've i haven't played it yet and i've been meaning to and i've heard a lot about it but i've literally no one in the, everything i've heard has been it's got a very handsome man called clive in it yeah, yeah, and it's basically Game of Thrones, and no mm. one at any point mentioned the kaiju battles. Kind of the entire—it's the entire driving force of the story as well. <laughs> like, <laughs> the only reason that anything happens in the world is because someone ties into a kaiju <laughs> and, and just <laughs> so, treads on something. <laughs> so why did I keep hearing all of the, cause the thing I was hearing a lot is like, oh, it's very inspired by like the last decade of like low, like Western low fantasy, like the game Game mm. of Thrones and The Witcher, particularly. Is that is that true? Because Neither of those involve that thing you just said. No, I, it, that, that is completely true. But it's it, it is the most boring thing about it, like right. of of any of anything. Like from um, this, especially when you sort of like start inserting some classic kind of fantasy costume design into this or into these fields. <laughs> it's quite, <laughs> even though it's, you know, it's very high fidelity, beautifully rendered. But it's quite it's quite a silly kind of clash of ideas in a way. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of one of the reasons I enjoy Final Fantasy is because you get to see spectacular, beautiful, extraordinary like superstructures and cities and the gold saucer in Seven, and um, you know you, you bring together a band of you know between five and ten weirdos <laughs> from different corners <laughs> of the world. Um, and this is in this one is like you, you are indeed handsome man Clive, um, and that's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, then you meet a guy called Sid, um, and he's generally has like a, a glimmer of personality, really. Um, and, and he could do lightning stuff, so that's even cooler. 
um, and then you meet the the ice lady, and that's kind of as far as those characters go. <laughs> uh, Does Sid have an airship? Uh, no, he doesn't. Um, okay. Unfortunately, um, that, that, I think uh, Seven Sid is the best Sid. I think there's one in almost every game. Mm. Um, yeah, Sid's pretty cool in this one, though. Uh, he's sort of leading the resistance against uh, the evil empire who are oppressing the bearers of these magic users. Um, it's kind of it's weird that those guys are oppressed though because they're they're incredibly powerful, <laughs> um, and like I've killed hundreds of soldiers who, who have been trying to come after me, and it's like how do you, how do you hold this oppressive society down when basically every you know magic user who has access to access to an icon can just go nuclear at any moment. Um, but yeah, no, it's weird that people aren't talking about that, and uh, the fact that you can turn into a huge god and fight other gods. Those bit that's really cool. <laughs> I kind of want to lift those bits out of sixteen and put them into more more of them into fifteen. There are a few moments like that in fifteen, but um, fifteen out was kind of like a kind of a, a strange disjointed game, particularly in terms of like the story and time skips and, and that sort of thing. But um, it had a brilliant idea. But it's basically just you and your pals who just got a big road trip in a nice car. Was um, it the boy band one? Yes, yeah, but yeah, but, uh, but you know, each of them were quite funny. Um, and they will have their sort of little story arcs and things. Like I'm kind of cl- I'm latching onto that because none of that's really in sixteen. Um, sixteen is on a mission to be so sort of dour and to you know uh, pay service to that sort of fake medieval fantasy um, Game of Thrones style uh, you know, atmosphere. That it, it forgets that Game of Thrones is also quite funny a lot of the time. Um, there, there are people who have wits who make good jokes, and you know you, you, you love to. Every time Tyrion comes on the screen in the first few seasons, you know, it's just lights up the, lights up the whole um, atmosphere. It's not relentlessly mm. grim. Um, there's a, there's levity to it as well, to those settings when they work, um, and there just isn't that in this one. It's, it feels like a, a bit of a kind of misunderstanding of the genre to an extent. Um, but nonetheless, it's still like a very serviceable, well-made, nice, big RPG for your summer. If you pick up a new summer RPG. It's, it's not a bad choice. Yeah, it's not something lacking in RPGs, is it? Really, like, no, much coming like because it's. I mean, we're what, three days away from Baldur's three at the moment. Yeah, which, yeah, like, Exciting. yeah. Do you think um, with with Fun Fantasy sixteen? Because I have I have heard good things, and I think to be fair, I think the reason that um, I people were sitting on the kaiju um, were was because of like the um, the sense I get that like yeah, that's why they've really leaned into the spectacle, so maybe preserving some particular mm. surprises and things. But like, is it one of those situations where like the weird mix of like that very JRPG spectacle and an attempt at low fantasy work in a weird way? Because I would put you know th- those kinds of odd juxtapositions can be very effective in other settings, and mm. not to kind of break the glass too early. But I think From Software is really good at that, right? Like juxtaposing cherry picked elements of other schools of fantasy with each other and then dialing weird elements up to 15 i think it, they basically they, they they do seem to sit quite well together actually um I, I think just things accelerate so much when you get the big kaijus turning up that i just like really want more of it so mm. um the kind of wandering around fields smacking spiders stuff it which is probably like 70% of the game <laughs> just feels as though I'm kind of wading through it to get to the bit that I really want to see. Um, and perhaps it's just like a pacing thing. Maybe it's just a bit too much field stomping. Um, and I think what's the dialogue and conversations are just quite long. Um, it's got some really cool features though. It's got, um, whenever you pause in any cutscene or any sort of conversation, uh, you can access a kind of like 
uh, a menu of relevant law items. Um, mm. It's like uh, if someone's speaking, there'll be a little profile of who they are, uh, what kingdom they're from, uh, or there'll be a concept like um, bearers who use magic. You know, they have this. They turn gradually to stone, and they'll explain that to you. Um, and I think that's actually a really nice way to present um, optional extra law. Uh, it's it must have been an, like a nightmare to do it like line by line, conversation by conversation to have to put the relevant sort of information in. But to me, it's much more effective than just having a big old codex um, kind of Mass Effect style. Uh, you can sort of like just go, hmm, who is that person? And just sort of snack on it bit by bit, which is quite nice. Yeah, that's dope, actually. It's, so it's a bit like the, um, you know, if you like pause a movie on like Amazon yeah. Prime, you can see the, who's on screen right now, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think they call it X-Ray. It's exactly like mm. that. Um, oh, dope. Yeah, it's a cool. cool. Good idea. Good. That's Keep my favorite feature about uh, Amazon Prime as well. That's such a good feature. I wish yeah, everything really had that. I like it when it's slightly wrong or it spoils something. <laughs> I didn't know that character was in that scene lurking in the background and it flashes up. Mm. So it's quite fun. No, it's really cool. Oh, it's worth reading the item descriptions as well in, in 16 because like, they don't mean anything, but Swans, it's, loads of hard work has gone into the item descriptions in particular. Um, Completely in contrast to the dialogue and how people express themselves. <laughs> the actual, like, um, you, you pick up some random crafting material and it'll be a whole high concept, you know, idea behind that thing. And it's not even an object in the game. There's not even a picture of it. You just gain three blobs of this thing, stuff, <laughs> that you then use to turn into a sword later. Um, so I've, I've sort of been enjoying uh, a lot of the work in 16 around the edges of the, of the core game itself. Um, I think there's some nice sort of flourishes there. Um, and it's occasionally very pretty as well. It is like really nicely rendered fields. <laughs> sort of, uh, yeah, lots of, I don't know where, where I'd place it in the UK. Um, somewhere very flat, maybe down Dartmoor. Mm. Like I was going to say, is it sort of like Blasted Heath or is it like Rolling Somerset? Um, it starts, it's, it's basically flat Somerset. Okay. Like, a kaiju stomped on Somerset and it's, mm. all the hills have gone and you just see for miles. Um it's, it's, it's kind of idyllic, and there's some nice sort of weather and stuff to it as well, which I like. I like a bit of uh, foggy rain. What form mm. factor do the uh, chocobos take in this one? Uh, so they're about like, nine foot tall or something. <laughs> um, they're big lads. They're big lads in this one. Uh, they're like they're just sort of around again. You, they're just sort of you, you just beat the crap out of them as you're passing through an area. <laughs> oh wait, oh, so they're, they're appropriate pros rather than pets or mounts then. They're, they're, they are mounts as well, um, oh. but they're also well chocobo that you can just fight and just incinerate with your big, you know, fiery demon powers. Um, and no one comments on that. <laughs> it's the thing that you just do to, get, to gain points and gain some crafting materials. Yeah, the the, the zones are a little bit kind of um, almost MMO-ish in that respect, where there's just this mild friction of the world. The wildlife is there just sort of slightly getting your way. Mm. Um, and if you want to sort of farm for a bit, you can, uh, you know, I'll put podcast on sort of just clean up the chocobos in the area <laughs> um, and then go into, into the next town. Uh, I do miss the sort of big, huge, there might be some later big, huge sort of fantasy cities and things like that. There's always, you know, at least one or two in each one of fantasy. And uh, there might be one later, later that I've not reached yet. Um, it takes ages to get going as well, like lots of mm. fantasy games. Um, the sort of first five hours, some really good spectacle, but in terms of building your character, it's a write-off. And it's not until you start gaining more kind of cool um, elemental powers that it starts to pick up as an actual, actual interactive thing. Is it, I mean, it's not out, out of character for Final Fantasy to like be one thing for like the first 12 hours and then just mm. totally transform into something else, right? Like, do you, do you get a sniff of that happening or is it... Or is it like you're in these fields? That's the game. Uh, I think 
there'll be sort of a bit where I imagine I go to you know volcano bit and there might be a bit where I've, you know you go to a big city I'm still expecting that at some point but I think this is pretty much it now um I've gotten through I think I'm pretty bit far well well far into the actual character building and unlocking skills and stuff like that um so I think that is that is the game you're right though like Final Fantasy 13 like mm. after 20 hours of being one big corridor it just suddenly became a cool kind of much more open game and the, and the combat sort of unlocked itself and became interesting like way it went into the game which has been a nightmare to review. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh no, there are two games here, and the, sec- the second only opens up after thirty hours. Um, but it kind of makes all subsequent games a nightmare to review as well, right? Because you can never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah, they can. Yeah, they can, they can flip reverse it. Um, uh, I, th- I think like I've seen like some of the biggest battles. I mean, they're only really going to get bigger as well for for the big kaiju fights. Um, and there's a a really cool big one that you see at the very start. Um, actually, there's a, a there's a generous demo. Uh, available for mm-hmm. it that gives you the first or two or three hours oh, um, cool. and it won't like give you like, a lot of the skills and things that you unlock that make combat more exciting but it's a good it'll give you a good sense of the tone of the world and, and those big boss fights as well um yeah titan's awesome just this enormous rocky man <laughs> very very <laughs> angry <laughs> yeah it's good stuff having played a lot of the final fantasy games do you feel like there is any kind of significant payoff in it in the way that it sort of recycles elements like there's there's always a character called Sid there's always a chocobo is that stuff does that stuff actually speak to each other or is it just like the names thrown in as sort of fan service uh they're just motifs uh, really like uh little sort of memes and no, they're, they're, like the Sid's well, it'd be hilarious if the Sid's all knew each other somehow <laughs> um <laughs> But no, they, they tend to. I think Sid it, it tends to be kind of um, a roguish archetype in most of the environment. Remember correctly, um, like he, he's famous like the you know the airship guy from Seven, and he's always like you've got a cigarette and a, his big staff. Um, and in this one, he's, he's uh, kind of like a roguish uh, leader of a resistance group. Um, so there are sort of some vague similarities, but no, they don't really speak to each other. I don't think. Um, I think the, the good thing about the series, sort of. There's something very comforting about it. Oh, there's there's the chocobo, and there's a guy with spiky hair and a big sword, and you know it feels like you're in Final Fantasy world um, to an extent. Uh, also, but I do think that like, the ability for the series to change up uh, so much from edition to edition is like when something like thirteen lands, um, which I didn't like at all. Um, you could, you could, the series could always be rescued <laughs> mm. um, by the next one, um, and like twelve is, I think, a really interesting RPG uh, systemically, and like again, like that, that's an idea that like loads of other games have cribbed from in terms of um, building uh, kind of tactical AI commands into your combat systems. Um, it's not the first game to do that, but for Final Fantasy to pick that that idea up, pursue it, is actually kind of meaningful. When a series that big endorses certain design ideas, you, should, you do tend to see them replicated elsewhere by other games as well. Um, so, like, you might see more kaiju fights in uh, RPGs in a few years' time because of games like Fifteen. I've kind of find the, that, that percolation of ideas between RPGs and different developers very interesting. This um, just reminded me. I was um, I was nipping back through our inbox earlier today, and while I think we are a bit, you know, a bit maybe further out from gathering enough to maybe do some questions and questions eventually it's kind of uh, came to mind that um we actually had an email uh for someone called mark so thank you for writing in mark that pointed out that for the discussion about 16 that was coming i think at the time and and um another final fantasy series that um particularly calling out that 14 the mmo has grown yeah. into like probably by a lot of people's reckoning the best final fantasy of the last yeah. period mm-hmm. era like as it's evolved into a playable single player rpg in its own right um mm-hmm. particularly narratively like it's one of those things that 
I always think, will I ever try and like catch up on because people rave about it so much? And I, I truthfully don't know if I will, but uh, I figured I'd just throw that out there because it felt very relevant to this. Um, that 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 is a good shout. That the, you know that is another <laughs> right. There's a there's a game yeah. sandwiched in the middle there that people kind of sometimes overlook. I guess when looking at mainline Final fantasies. Yeah, forty is fantastic. Um, I've played about twenty hours of it. I think over the years, um, it's it's one of the few MMOs you can play with the controller pretty well. Um, so mm. it's, it's a kind of the couch MMO. Whereas previously, MMOs were like very much a sit up at the PC type of experience before that. Um, yeah, no, 40, 40 is great. And whenever it's like a bit like Star Wars The Old Republic, whenever they release a new expansion and there's a really cool trailer, I'm always like, oh, I could, I could see myself going back to that maybe one day. Um, but if I was going to pick up any MMO, it would be 14, actually. It was going to really invest some time into one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, um, I think also because, I, you know, I think a lot for me, a lot of my nostalgia for Final Fantasy is quite retro. Like it's mm-hmm. more, it's pre seven, really. Like I played seven on PS one when it came out, but um, like I sort of, um, I am most nostalgic for like the very old magic system and like black mages, red mages, white mages, etc. Right, that kind yeah. of thing. And so something I really liked about fourteen because actually I actually reviewed realm reborn when it when it got re-released oh yeah and um i liked the job system in that for the for all the throwbacks to kind of classic final fantasy stuff and i think the i think the value of the motifs i think it's interesting when when a series is built more on motifs or on tropes or traditions than on narrative (coughs) partly for the reason you say tom that it allows you to kind of like reinvent it if people don't like one but also partly because it allows you to kind of um place the emphasis more on one thing than another and they kind of carry like in, inherent meaning for having kind of just f- the the familiarity you carry from previous iterations of the same thing. I'm not quite sure how to describe that quality because it's it's partly nostalgia, I think, but it's mm. also partly that kind of comforting sense that you're in a kind of understood space or like fictional space where new things can happen, but they happen within a framework you understand. I think it's actually quite, um, there's a sort of quality of mythos to it, right? Where rather than trying to tell one continuous story with those characters, you tell archetypical stories based on a set of kind of a shared understanding of what Final Fantasy is as a genre unto itself. Yeah, I think there's an element of sort of feeling looked after as a player, mm. um, where you know they're 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 going to have their flaws and their faults from edition to edition, but fundamentally they're going to look real real nice and just have loads of care of attention and um, kind of concept up behind them that's going to be interesting, uh, and you're going to see some just cool fantastic stuff um i remember i played six after like years after playing seven which is the first mm-hmm. one i really got into and six is fantastic it's really, really, like really funny as well like it's got a great, great sense of humor as well as its sort of world ending threat and um the really cool concepts for like magic site and this kind of mechanized magic um which was, was, was fantastic um i do feel a bit a bit, a bit a kind of the lack of those ideas in 16 so far but i it's it's still good though it's still like a fun entertaining time um, I think, uh, and also, as you say, that strong nostalgia element to Final Fantasy. Where you, I always remember the best bits that I loved the most from seven and eight, and uh, forget all the silliness and kind of um, sometimes grind and drudgery that was associated with uh, random battles and things like that back in the day. Yeah, and let us let us not forget that they in in the year twenty twenty three just went and called the lead character Clive. <laughs> Did do that. That was a decision they made. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, kudos to them because. You wouldn't get that anywhere else. Do that. <laughs> no, that will get shot down in the first meeting. Yeah. What have we called? I can't even remember his second name. Um, 
but to be fair, like it was a <laughs> Clive fantasy. Um, yeah, but eight, the main guy was called Squall. <laughs> so uh, the series has form. Well, you got Cloud, then you got Squall, right? Yeah. You got two different sky slash weather related names in a row. And then Clive. <laughs> and then Clive. Yeah, exactly. It's also, it has a strange Final Fantasy thing where everyone's either 25 or 85. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> what happened to the middle aged people in it? Those are the only two ages anyone wants to be. That's why it's the fan. That is the final (laughs) fantasy. You just be alternatively either 85 or 25 for the rest of the That is the, yeah. And also you can turn into a big dog. Those are the three. Yeah. (laughs) That is a good time though. That's a a good summer blockbuster for me. Yeah. What have you been uh, playing, Chris? Oh, well, um, (laughs) there's a surprise. What a, what a question. Um, so, <laughs> how do you? Um, so, yeah, so I've been playing uh, Remnant 2, the sequel to Remnant from the Ashes, a game that I didn't play and don't really know anything about, in part because I think, uh, you know, and I'll say this, and I, I'm going to say up front, I like this game quite a bit. Um, but to dunk on it briefly, boy, that's a name that means nothing. <laughs> yeah. Because it could be called ashes from the remnants and it would mean the same thing um this is a game where you pointedly um collect scrap and remains and it's like why we need more words for the same thing <laughs> like buried in the same game but i really didn't know anything about it other than maybe it was a little bit of a souls like in some ways uh, i heard souls like with guns which is true and that uh, it had more of a co-op focus and it was getting lots of good reviews and things and i thought you know what i'm kind of in the mood for a game like this and um um i am really pleasantly surprised by it partly because i really did not know what to expect and it really surprised me and it's kind of continued to do so and so um i was thinking of a few different ways to explain this do either of you know what the premise is of remnant amazingly i have i played the first one and i don't okay <laughs> so it's not left an impression i enjoyed it though i really enjoyed the first one I've played about the same amount of both the first and the second game, and I'm curious as to your take uh, because okay. I, I've, I've been left definitely, completely, and utterly uncharmed by it. Really? See, yeah, but I think hmm. that's just because I haven't got far enough into it to see what it is that everybody else is raving about. Oh yeah, be curious. Um, so, in two, have you been far enough to touch a big red object? <laughs> yes. Okay, fine. So. Here's what happened for me. So the things I didn't know about it, and I'll explain some of those things. And this isn't like spoilers at all. This is like, this is spoilers for the Steam page, which I didn't even really look at. Um, But like as much as anything. But so um, Remnant begins in a very familiar kind of territory. It's it's post-apocalyptic Earth, but in that kind of very Last of Us post-apocalypse, you are two survivors picking their way across an an urban wasteland, uh, navigating shut iron fences and you know uh, little climbing puzzles and um and a collapsing train car for example and you know the kind of minor injuries of life on the road in a sort of the road or last of us or or any of those sort of like visions of the of the tv friendly post-apocalypse bit of walking dead perhaps you're kind of you're all you're dressed like sort of scavengers your guns are bolted together there's a slight air of fallout to it in that sense as well in terms of your garb and the kind of fighter you are and then you're introduced to the peril that has befallen the world, which is a, an enemy called the root. So a plant-based 
post-apocalypse. So again, quite Last of Us in some ways. Although instead of being a viral thing, they're more like a kind of invader from beyond. But again, quite earthy and quite grounded. And you're fighting little tree dryads and like spites and, and things like that. And uh, you get rescued by some some other survivors and taken to a shanty town encampment where you meet heroes, presumably from the first game and so on. And they take you to a, you know, they kind of introduce you gradually to the world. You pick what class you are. I'll talk about that in a moment. And uh, you're kind of gingerly introduced to your first adventure. And in my case, you get ready to go journey maybe to another part of the world to fight more uh, monsters, to upgrade your scrappy gear. But guess what, dickhead? You're actually in Yarnum now, you prick. <laughs> and you just go to Bloodborne. And then you're in Bloodborne. And it's oh, it's fucking Bloodborne, by the that's, way. So do you like do you like Bloodborne? One of the best games ever. Yeah. Do you like Elden Ring? Mm, pretty good. Do you like Control? Yeah, very much. Well, guess what, Tom? They're all in this game. I bought all the wrong game them. this month. <laughs> 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 yeah. So um it's got this energy. So basically the premise of Remnant actually is that um during the Cold Wars, the Americans found a big red crystal and used this to travel between worlds and by worlds i mean just other games you like <laughs> nice and but they were attacked by a big plant anyway that was all resolved and now we have this big red crystal there's some sort of mystery going on and you jump into the big red crystal and you end up in a different game oh, nice. and that other game is a they're really fun they're really you know kind of <laughs> in their own way but they're, they're they're sort of these loving quite devoted sometimes quite specific lifts of just other things. There's a big Elden Ring moment. There's a big Anor Londo moment. There's uh, a big, a, a striking Bloodborne-ism um, that's right there on top of it. And <laughs> it's just, you know, And but the thing that's completely mad about this is the order you do any of this is completely random because hmm. the campaign is randomized. So oh. not only are the levels randomly generated, but what order you encounter them in is, and my friend was explaining to this to me, there's so many different settings in the game and each of them exists in several different forms. Mm. So in, in a given run, you're not going to see the same thing and you might not have the same plot available to you as wow. you would on other runs. Um, but you navigate all of this as like, in my case, a woman with a dog in a North Face jacket, <laughs> like just trying to get by with a gun. I have a gun that's made of the demon's fingers now, but other than that, it's normal. And like, it's completely bonkers. Like it's both bonkers and really familiar. And I find that really like, I find it quite charming. So that's why I'm interested much that you didn't. Cause it like, for me, I had this kind of instant experience of what the fuck is going on. As soon as like, I was ready to jump through this portal and go to like somewhere tonally relevant to what I was just doing. But what I jumped through into was a burning medieval London where a bunch of vagrants running at me with sickles going fucking get him he's a shit he is and it was like what the fuck is going on <laughs> like and the wonderful job they've had to do to navigate the fact that your your um your character is voiced but can only really respond to things without describing them because the amount of batshit stuff in the game is really high so they'll just say like <laughs> well well that doesn't look good or i can't believe that happened <laughs> or um <laughs> in in one case um, you kill, you will, it's so one of the, one of its milestones is the first time you kill the boss, but obviously the bush boss that's going to be is completely random and their attempt to, um, uh, their attempt to record a voice line that could account for any possibility is great. Cause my character just sort of like said breath and like, Oh, I can't believe I did that. But what <laughs> I, what, what she did in this particular case was simply murder a woman carrying a vase. 
but you know it really could have been anything <laughs> it could have been and um i'm finding myself so i did a lot of that stuff solo i had that kind of what the fuck is this moment because between those sort of like excursions so to kind of zoom out a bit it is structured like a souls game in that you're kind of zipping between crystals effectively bonfires exploring opening shortcuts finding items the item system works very similarly leveling up gear works quite similarly or it's a little bit more crafting based um really it is very similar in a lot of ways mechanically apart from the, the heavy focus on gun gun fighting which is is different um and then within all of that you are but you there's no punishment for dying so it's not forgive unforgiving in that way it's a little bit lighter on you um it's more about you know progress and difficulty and stuff like that and then between that, you're kind of returning to this hub setting where you can upgrade your gear and so on. And it's much more geared for co-op. So I, I played a, I played about five hours of it, and like four hours of that was like a single setting last night with a friend um, who had already completed it once and just reset and kind of come back to the start with me and was enjoying playing it through with me because I was having a different experience to him in terms of what I was seeing in the campaign and so on. Even though he'd, he'd seen the, all the individual pieces, he hadn't seen them in that order. And its class system works a bit like jobs from Final Fantasy, actually. Like, you pick one at the start, but you can unlock the others, and you can switch between them or multi-class them. So you can kind of mix and match eventually. So there's some benefit to, like, switching to a lower-leveled one you've got to play with a friend who might be lower level and so on. That's That stuff's all quite well implemented. Um, there is a, a moment that really made me laugh early on where you, you pick your first class by going to a, a strange man who sees the future, perhaps. He lives in a crane. And um, you go and meet him and he says something like, well, stranger, you've got to pick a path for yourself. And I was like, which path are you going to pick? And previous to this point, I had just been, you know, a woman in a duster with a gun. And my my choices of path were like sniper, which was kind of an escalation of what I was, already was, okay. Uh, medic dressed as a kind of creepy latex plague doctor. Sure, it's a vibe change, but maybe. Um, sort of Mad Max Iron Man, okay. And also... And then the fourth one, you just own a dog now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amazing. And so I picked you just own a dog now because that's obviously the best one of those, um, which causes just an Alsatian to spawn next to you <laughs> um, instantly. The, the, the Where the dog comes from, never explained. Uh, poof, the dog is there. And now you're a handler and you can, you've got a dog. But also the thing I didn't realize is that every class you pick gives you a full set of gear and all of them are like really like, you know, kind of like urban fantasy post-apocalypse apart from the dog handler who was just wearing a baseball cap a jacket and one of those like dog handling mitts because they really lean quite it's not like you're a wasteland wanderer with a dog like a mad max dog meat fallout kind of thing it's literally like you're a dog trainer now which is a really oh, weird yeah exactly it's like a really weird juxtaposition of actual human job with fantasy class that i wasn't quite expecting um and then from then onwards, you just go on adventures with your dog, an ordinary Alsatian who you can't name. And it's just called dog. Um, and you can sick the dog on people. The dog has a howl, which will achieve something. If you initially, it's like a taunt for enemies. I've now unlocked the healing dog who follows you around and howls to make you feel better, which is, which does work in real life, incidentally. Mm. Um, but there's something even funnier to me then of exploring these incongruous fantasy spaces with a regular dog that is just an ordinary dog that will fight and bite and chase anything for you. It will fight creepy nurses. It will fight a God. It will fight, you know, um, a, a sinister cube. Like there's a lot of, of things. And, um, and something about that, it feels like it's, 
it's almost dangerously low rent in some ways because it is you know rough production in, in some regards it's not the highest budget thing ever but it, i think it works but on the flip side there's it really is like it would be hard to mistake for anything else because it's com- combination of elements is so strange and it has actually over time like consistently surprised me like i think the the, the big boss fights are genuinely pretty great like and i say that even in comparison to like a souls boss fight or a bloodborne boss fight mm-hmm. like they're in they're genuinely surprising um the um in ways that also work in co-op so um i've done two of them now um or at least one and a half and i actually won't say too much about them because i was genuinely like one of them is legitimately one of the funniest boss fights i've ever seen someone design it's so stupid I can't get over how stupid it's like some of them are just like you know nails hard soul style boss fights um in which it is like you know the the escalation is is really funny from like your initial gear of like using a scrap together rifle to put shrapnel on the ground so that bad men trip over to where i am now firing a tickle gun that makes me invisible <laughs> or um or having a double barrel shotgun with a, a fey artifact strapped to the front that creates a fire in a fire tornado um like just dope stuff like that but anyway um but one of the some of the boss fights are absolutely hilarious for very stupid reasons one of them now is so ill-designed to account for the dog's ai that i think it amounts to like animal cruelty um because <laughs> no. it's a it's like a navigation puzzle combined with a boss fight and that's all i'm like that's all i'll say about it mm-hmm. but the dog absolutely can't do the thing you need to do to avoid being instant killed and that thing for you doesn't feel like bullshit it's predictable it's like pattern memory it's like chance and it's very slapstick but it is just the experience of a, a, a regular-looking Alsatian getting fucking whomped over and over and over and over and over again in a kind of abstract, mathematically-derived parallel dimension. And it's in those <laughs> moments that you're like, how did we get here? <laughs> like, twenty, like three hours ago in this game, game, the plot was like, do you think coffee was ever real? And like now it's like... <laughs> fucking big man whomped my dog in space like it's um i love an escalation in this shit and i think i have a real <laughs> fondness for it for um nonsense so it's really tickled that that part can of the me. dog die not permanently so it gets it'll get it will it will say dead on its health bar but it gets up again quite quickly and then and that's what makes the boss fight even crueler because oh, should they play dead shouldn't it really you'll just get whomped again the best thing is you um it's a version of like an estus flask or a you know the healing item is mm. like this relic uh, and i think you can unlock more of them but at the beginning it's just this thing called the dragon heart why is it called a dragon heart not been fucking explained to me but it's a big red pulsating fleshy disc basically like a kind <laughs> of grotesque frisbee that um you heal yourself by holding it out in front of yourself and like bopping yourself on the chest with it like a bop it like a hoo. And then, um, but, uh, and there's some nice like uh, co-op stuff, which I'll talk about in a second. But one of the dog's special abilities is if you die, but you have any charges left on it, the dog will run over and bop you with it to get you back on your feet, which is very cute because it does look like it's fetched the Frisbee. I quite like that. Um, But the, yeah, there's, there's a lot to say about Remnant, including like it has like hidden classes that you unlock through doing various things in the game. And then you can multi-class and, I think it's lots of like, you know, incentive replay. And I really have to scratch the surface of it. But what I wanted to add is that it was notable to me that like, you know, it's not, it doesn't strike me as like the same kind of like transcendental experience that like a, a Bloodborne or a Souls game can be when they're at their best. Um, but, but 
having co-op implemented in this seamless a manner and have the game work around that in a lot of intelligent ways with its systems and the way the classes interact with each other is really cool. And like, it made me realize like, I like exploring those kinds of worlds with a friend. It's just that souls makes that really difficult traditionally to do consistently, mm. you know, more than a summon for a temporary time or, you know, without the kind of lockouts that happen when you hit boundaries and so on. Um, so yeah, I, I really like, I mean, I think as we said, it's such a packed summer for these kinds of games. Like, you know, if people are still playing Diablo, there's that and there's Bell's Gate coming up and then there's obviously Final Fantasy and like Starfield not too far away. And like, there's a lot of these. But um, I actually really like Remnant so far. I genuinely do. So I'm curious, Marsh, why, what, what was it that you kind of re- ricocheted from quite so hard? Uh, just, I mean, the opening. I, I, I'm really, uh, my excitement for it has been reinvigorated by your description because I think I just haven't given it enough time in <clears> the <throat> first game or this one. And I, the, both games open the first hour, maybe a little bit more than an hour, is is that sort of uh, post-apocalyptic Last of Us sort of setting, which felt just very brown in a way mm. which games have uh, not been since the early 2000s. <laughs> it felt like Gears of War 1, actually, in some ways. Um, and yeah. But not, as, not even as kind of architecturally interesting as that. You're just walking through abandoned brick warehouses and people just live in these warehouses and they haven't bothered to you know put anything more than a dirty mattress down on the floor in all the time they've been there just the, uh, the kinds of th- i just i felt like uh, we've sort of we should have moved on from that kind of setting and then um everything i played during that first hour was very very linear and not terribly exciting and you clearly don't have all the powers that you, you you're describing you later gain <laughs> so I, I i assume that at some point, the game just opens up. It must be, you know, when you touch the big red crystal, I guess. Mm. Um, however, in my playthrough, I was transported from a very brown place to a very grey place, ah. <laughs> and um, uh, shot a few robots in some corridors. And uh, then I was like, you know what? I'm going to wait until I hear what Chris says <laughs> before I play <laughs> any more of this because uh, it isn't doing it for me. But um, knowing that that there's more to it than that is is reassuring because I was wondering what what on earth people were going on about because just the different you know I, I played the first one I was like okay well maybe if I play the second game then I'll get a, a, a glimpse as to what what delights awaited me in in the latter stages of the first game but it's exactly the same (laughs) yeah there's like um there's a the bit where it started to weird me out was like in the before you go through the the first portal or the first touch the crystal for the first time there is like you can wander around the hub area and there is just like a fucking fawn there like from mythology just a hoofed a hoofed boy selling crystals and i was like what the fuck is this game because he sat next to like he's literally sat opposite like a bit a white bearded cowboy who sells ar-15s you know what i mean yeah. and it's like <laughs> and he was like fucking mr tumness and it's like okay what is this and it turns out it is battle narnia basically like is mm. the game and um but i feel like i got quite lucky getting such an incongruous tone shift with the first part of the campaign it fascinates me that it's randomized because um because that's a wild thing to leave up to chance right because i'm now in a place that is actually quite like the the second world I've gone to, which is also random, is more congruous with the game I thought it was going to be from the first one. It's still really interesting, but it's interesting partly because I know I've been to a completely batshit fantasy place before this, you know? Mm. And so that, like, that, like, I feel like I got quite lucky with the ordering because the, there's like, um, 
there's a story within the story that I think is imposed on the first world you go to, which is another tonal leap from whatever that is. And there was a point with the, there's like a, a few beats in, it's not very far into the game where the game will kind of unveil it's effectively like King Seeker Frampt equivalent. Cause it really is taking some cues. It really is, you know, in terms of like, it's a souls like game and um, things I didn't realize were an essential part of that genre, but I realized now are is like, you approach a mysterious dais, but wait, is that an enormous person <laughs> with a very soft voice? It is. And they're here to speak to you specifically and maybe eat you, but we don't know. Um, and uh, and that, that happens. And when that happened, I was just, I was playing co-op with my friend and I was just fully in like, what the fuck is this sort of mode? And at that point, it, it kind of had won me over, I think, because, you know, like... You, it, I don't know, I bumped into one of the healing wells from Diablo, but it was full of what appeared to be piss and gave me a buff. <laughs> it sounds, I really like the idea of sort of like putting the jukebox on random and sort of yeah. just barging through it with uh, with some silly guns. I think, if I remember I remember enjoying the first one way more than I thought I would based on, as Marsh describes, the way it looks. And there's a sort of, I don't think it's jank, it's not the right word, but just the animations, the like stiffness of movement. This kind of mm. it, it's completely functional, completely works, and, and feels good. But it's, it's sort of um, it's got that sort of you know, lightness to it. I feel yeah. Like, it's it, it's what I it's the lightness I associate with um, just post WoW era MMOs, uh, mm. where mm. they were exploring uh, more action based combat, but nothing felt quite like it landed. You know, mm. there was no kind of sense of connection. I, I agree on keyboard. I actually, I'm playing with a pad and I quite like ah. how it feels in a pad. Mm. I will say. Ah, okay. Um, and it's it's one of those ones where you, you know, seamlessly shift between the two. Because um, it does have, it's, it has some batshit key bindings as well. Like in terms of like, why is crouch alt and control completely unbound? You madmen. What are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but um, but on a pad, it feels like better to me generally. Um, although, it is fiddlier to accessibilities and things, but um, I didn't. Yeah, know, I, yeah. I, it's just a, it's, it's not really particularly a criticism of it. Like it's just, it's just there's a certain quality to it, um, which I did enjoy. I think I got lucky because I found a really good shotgun that was just really satisfying, and uh, it sort of like woke up the Diablo fan in me to like wave them way through areas and kill lots of little goblins with this fantastic weapon. Um, so I'm really kind of. It's, it sounds great that they've sort of expanded that with like loads of new worlds and some weird randomization. Um, yeah, I think it's it's both like it's both I think quite accomplished in the details and obviously lower budget than games it'll be compared to. And I think mm. that's you know it's like it is double A I think like to the extent that that means anything. And I think that's sort of an interesting conundrum for it because actually I think it's punching above its weight in terms of entertainment value. Like mm. I'll say that. And there's little things like. Little, you know, the inventiveness of some of the boss fights, little details and things that, again, I don't want to spoil, but um, that I really liked and like learning the mechanics actually being fun. Um, I don't want to fall down this rabbit hole because I've been there twice already in the pod, but I have now kind of made substantial progress with Diablo and gotten all the way to the end and into the end game. Uh, and I think I'm probably done with it. But that game waits so, 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 so long to surprise you um, mechanically, visually just in terms of the experience, mm. so long. It waits an insane amount of time. It waits until its final act, really, to literally show you something you haven't seen. And even then, it's like stuff that could be take, considered table stakes for a 
a game now. Like talking to what you were talking about, Tom, about like you're playing Final Fantasy, you're getting started and you're watching mountain sized kaiju rip each other apart or, you know, and, and like, I don't know. I think there's, there's something about not saving your big hitters for mm. last that is credible, creditable and remnant um, does have a slow start, but then it has like a, a, an extremely mad, like chapter two, which um, won me over quite a lot, and yeah, kind of can't underestimate the value of just uh, shaking somebody out of their complacency, right? Like um, that early, and with that much kind of diversity and and sort of um, playfulness in terms of just literally pulling all of the video game toys out of the toy box and smashing them against each other. There's a bit for me where it went a bit resy briefly. I'm like, why, why are you doing this game? Like, and it's like, I want to, ah, and like, okay. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to be every game. I'm going to be every game, but like the, we've got this at home version of that game and that's fine. Like go for it. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to persist with it then. Yeah. Do you want to, are you, are you able to jump into my game and, and guide me with your yeah. tender hand? I can absolutely. And my tender dog. <laughs> That was a good laugh. I enjoyed that. Oh, thanks. I'm uh, I'm I'm full Mad Max character in the game with Neither. my metal face and everything. Mm, excellent. That's a yeah yeah. It's a shame. It's a shame you haven't been to fucking Yarnum yet because Yarnum is full of um, Yarnum is full of very soggy men who've covered themselves in oil and who will oh, as we discussed before the podcast. As we discussed before. A little oily man. <laughs> but if you shoot them, they ignite and become more powerful. So you have to melee them to death. Um, but actually, I was thinking about you quite a lot while playing it because, like, it really has pulled some extremely earnest performances from its voice actors, and they haven't managed to get... They haven't got, like, the full Bloodborne, like, this town's finished sort of iconic, like, kind of weirdness. Um, but... Um, but they have got a really good line and probably the same or only a handful of voice actors going, my life is awful. <laughs> while like, <laughs> while running at you naked and on fire. And it's just very good. Enjoyed yeah, it quite a bit. And he's sick of dog on them. <laughs> <laughs> my life's got slightly worse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, what have you been playing, Marsh? I've played Viewfinder. Mm. Um, which is uh, that first-person puzzle game that seemed to be in GIF form for maybe a decade. I'm not quite sure how long, but um, it's a first-person puzzle game in the vein of Portal. Um, and I think it's it feels like the first one of these sorts of games since maybe Manifold Garden, which, like Portal, has a central mechanic that is just wondrously confounding in itself. Like you know, you know, in, in Portal, you can open a hole in reality and can join two different points in space, which is something you can't ordinarily do, and is therefore very exciting. Um, and it offers a huge number of ways, new ways of looking at the world and your ability to traverse through it, um, and is thus exhilarating, uh, even before you add any kind of puzzle aspect to it. I feel a lot of puzzle game successes of Portal have not lived up to that with their with their conceits. Not even Portal 2, actually, which has those paints mm. uh, which change your speed and mm. your bounciness. Um, but, you know, the properties of speed and bounciness are things I'm readily um, familiar with, and uh, <laughs> I can change by myself. Um, and then, you know, even though the puzzles that the game 
constructs from those tools are good, they fundamentally aren't as wowing in the same way as joining two parts of space that are otherwise non-contiguous. And Manifold Garden offers something similar, which is that you are, you're entering these impossible spaces, these inf infinite spaces filled with colossal repeating geometries, uh, which you can explore in multiple gravitational planes. And that's cool, you know, just of itself, whether or not there is a puzzle there. Uh, and there is a puzzle there, and it's good. But anyway, this game, meanwhile, lets you... Uh, project a reality of a photograph onto the environment you're in. So you're sort of you so you you have a little Polaroid camera and you snap a part of the level and then you develop the picture and you hold it up in front of you and press the button and pow! Like suddenly it's no longer a photograph, but everything you see in that photograph has been superimposed in 3D onto the environment ahead, so replacing whatever had been there. And I mean. In some ways, that's, that feels that's, that is a little bit more prosaic than Portal because you are basically just if you if you're familiar with level editors, then it's just copying one part of the level and pasting it somewhere else. Mm. But it does it with a real technical panache. It's it's really seamless and doing that in first person with the the sort of visual framing of it being a photograph and then being able to step through into the into that photograph as it were is still like a really fun and uh, and exotic uh trick and it doesn't doesn't grow old and it has a lot of potential too i think um as a as a puzzle conceit and the game comes up with a lot of good twists so like at a most basic level like uh if part of the uh, a part of the the level like the level exit for example is blocked off from you by a gate you can take a picture of some part of the level where that gate isn't and then you can superimpose it on the part of the level where the gate is and essentially you cut a walkway through that gate um and then the game throws in like level exits that need to be powered by collecting batteries from different parts of the environment that might otherwise be inaccessible or connecting circuits to power the, the the gate out of the out of the level or sometimes you just need to reorient photographs so that walls are floors and so forth and there are um, and later on there are parts of the level that are immune to being captured or altered by your photo magic and then some puzzles uh have timers on on like fixed cameras so that you can take a picture and then run in front of the camera so you photograph yourself and then you can project yourself essentially like a teleporter. Um, so all of that stuff is is really cool and it's totally underused to an absolutely baffling degree. <laughs> like one might say that is the true puzzle of the game. Um, <laughs> might they? Let's hope not. But I, I just don't really know how to... Like, I, I realize this, this is going to sound like I'm bragging about how smart I am if I say that the game was, like, easy. But I, I'm, I'm genuinely not. I, like, I, lo I love puzzle games, but I'm not very smart. <laughs> I'm not especially quick at solving them normally. But this feels like... This isn't that it's, it's not difficult that's the problem. It feels like that no idea gets beyond the tutorial stage. It's it's mm. almost frictionless to like a confusing degree. Like in a, in a puzzle game, typically, you know, the game will introduce a mechanic by showing what that mechanic does without any impediment, and then the next stage 
they will introduce a situation which is impossible to resolve but is made trivial by the mechanic. And then the next stage, it will be impossible to resolve, but you need to use the mechanic in a thoughtful way. And then the next stage, there'll be like some further twist that changes the way that you thought the mechanic should be used or confounds your expectations or something like that. And you can pad those stages out with additional levels. But like generally, I think what I'm describing there is like a fairly common puzzle escalation arc. Mm-hmm. And this game almost never gets above level two. Like, mostly it will just introduce a mechanic, and it's completely obvious from then on that this will instantly solve whatever problem you're facing, and there's no conundrum. <laughs> and it, it, it's so it, it it's so baffling to me that they just stop and move on. And like, there's one level during the like the battery. Uh, levels where you need to collect these batteries from the environment and you drop them on this pad and then however many you need will power up the the exit um and the battery's just on a ledge like the battery you need it's it's just on a ledge and like maybe, maybe it's a little out of your line of sight as you walk around and this isn't like the first puzzle using this mechanic this isn't introducing the idea of using battery. This is some way into the whole battery sequence. And it's just on a ledge. And you just pick <laughs> it up. And you, that's it. And, then, and I, was, I, was, I was like, as I was like completing this level, I was going like, what, what the fuck is happening to me? <laughs> well, why? <laughs> was, is that, was that the game I was just playing? How have I solved this so easily? And I don't know. It's like that throughout, really. And there, is, there, is, there was one later level that did actually have me um, really stumped. Um, And it was the only one in the game where I I felt like I was really stumped. And I ended up with this horrible, glitchy feeling solution that involved sort of taking a snapshot of the level and then orienting it and uh, and embedding it in the level to create this this horrible, like barely navigable ramp out (laughs) of truncated, rotated level geometry. But even then, like... That, that was a solution that occurred to me straight away. And I just didn't do it for a long time because I was like, they can't, they can't expect me to do something like as hacky as that. Um, and so I was resistant to doing it. But maybe there was a, a better way of doing it. And I just didn't see it. But like every other level, though, has been like a nearly instant solve. Maybe there's been like a momentary pause while I look around the level or there's like a bit of like redoing because I fucked up the implementation, but almost everything has been straightforward. And it's so strange because it seems like the conceit just is, is like a, you know, a, a juicy rag waiting to be wrung of all of its delicious <laughs> potential. And they just leave it this sopping wet heap. <laughs> oh, no. Is there any sort of narrative reason for any of this happening? Or is it just purely just that mechanic and different scenarios? Uh, well, Yes, uh, that is the other, the other part of this, which is that there is there is a story to it. Um, I'm hesitant because I don't want to be too mean about it because I saw it getting a lot of flack on social media for its tone specifically. Hmm. Um, like there was a clip being shared of some YouTuber playing it. He hears like a peppy voice line and he immediately goes to the settings menu and mutes all the VO volume. <laughs> um, and that that that's mean. Um, and I, I don't want to labour the merits or otherwise of the like the, the way it's written. I would say that the peppiness is actually restricted to one character who who goes away, and um, 
it's not all like that. Some of the other dialogue is 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 fine actually, and and it's not it's not badly written, particularly um, line by line. However, I will say that I did eventually do the same um, as that YouTuber. Oh, the, well, uh, I did it before I even saw that clip. So I'd, I'd had a similar sort of experience to the YouTuber. I had decided that the story wasn't working for me, um, and I turned off the VO and also the subtitles. So I completely, <laughs> yeah, completely I divorced myself from no the story. <laughs> completely. And it's not... It's not the actual wording of the dialogue that aggravated me, although I didn't particularly love that that character that offended him. Um, but it's mostly that it's just superfluous in a way which continuously interrupts your experience of the game as a puzzle game. And I don't, I, I don't necessarily want somebody talking to me while I solve puzzles. For one thing, mm. um, and it doesn't it doesn't continuously talk, but it, it talks enough that I didn't want it there. And I don't actually need a line of dialogue. Uh, to bookend every puzzle like um that's just not a, re a requirement of the of the scenario and if you do that like i feel like it has to be very funny like portal or, or mm. at least it has to be that dialogue has to be as much the reason that you're playing the game as the puzzles themselves are and i don't think they hit that bar here it feels like the dialogue you know, there's a line of dialogue at the end of the level because they feel an obligation to put a line of dialogue at the end of the level, um, and that sometimes that dialogue's better and sometimes it's worse. But it, you never get the feeling that um, it needs to be there. And I, I was thinking, I think I was talking to Jamie about this a while ago, maybe you as well, Chris. But sometimes, like, I think like the best, the best narrative direction is to not have narrative. <laughs> right. <laughs> sometimes it's better for the narrative to get out of the way and not only will that make the other mechanics breathe and and they, they can be concentrated on and maybe elevate themselves but the actual narrative will be elevated as well because when it appears it signals that its existence is important and not just rigmarole yeah 100 percent. i mean that's i mean not to get too kind of arch about it but like how it, it there's a sometimes a strange assumption that uh, and I think it, I think it stems from an older view of narrative that treated it as wallpaper for a game. Like the game's already designed, slap a story on it, right? Um, slap a story on it to explain why these doors do or don't open. Um, and then the the step beyond that is assuming that no, 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 narrative is valuable. Therefore, every game must have it to the same extent or the same level of depth or presented in a similar way. That it must mean voiceover, it must mean extensive dialogue or something like that. And it's just not true. Really, like, you know, I don't think there is a correct template for games particularly, or maybe even for any other medium of what correct looks like. It's about the experience you're intending to create. And uh, I haven't played uh, this game, but it does sound like a, well, I guess there's two possible. I'm interested to know which one of these you think it is. Um, and a belief that a, game, a puzzle game must have narration because Paul had very successful narration, or um, a belief that... Uh, that having that additional level of narration will add meaning that wouldn't otherwise be there. Yes, I think it's probably the former. I, I, I mean, the, I'm interested to get your take on whether this is good or bad. The fact that I could entirely destroy <laughs> their narrative efforts, I could totally mute the, every aspect of the narrative, whether that was good or bad. Uh, because obviously uh, you want to be able to design games which are playable by people who aren't interested in the narrative. You want to be give people consent to the degree to which they engage with certain elements of your game. And so in that sense, being able to mute the VO 
get rid of the the, the 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 subtitles and have a completely unspoiled playable experience as a pure puzzle game tick box good however that also means that the story didn't ever connect at all with what you were doing and uh, so actually I sorry I completely didn't answer your original question Tom <laughs> I will now do that uh, so this, the grander story is that it appears that all of these levels, this isn't a spoiler, this is rapidly explained, explained in the game, all these levels that you're playing through are part of a simulation, uh, a s- sort of um, uh, VR playpen slash laboratory that was built by a bunch of scientists who are hoping to do some sort of geoengineering to save uh, the dying earth. So there's lots of talk of soil samples <laughs> um, and you uh, there are records in the environment there's little notes everywhere which you can read and listen to and they will be conversations between different scientists or uh, notes between different scientists um, and it's clear that whatever they were doing hasn't worked uh, because uh, when you pop out of the VR a very brief um, uh, diversion from the actual process of puzzling the world is this polluted hellscape. Um, but none of that has to, anything to do with photography. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's strange to me that they would have chosen something that didn't engage at all with the, the prime activity of the game. I don't, it's yeah. so strange. I mean, I mean, even if you want to support players to be able to skip your story, surely you would still make the story that you do have connect in some way mm. with the, the central premise of your game, which is such an evocative uh, motif, you know, the idea of um, f- photography itself, photographs becoming real, stepping yeah. into the world of photographs, like that's such a rich line to mine. And it, like the puzzles, it, the game just <laughs> absolutely opts not to do that. Mm-hmm. It's very curious. I mean, one way to think about it is, you know, to, to go back to the question of like, should it ever be, you know, completely skippable? Um, a game is either typically narratively led or design-led or gameplay design-led, right? Like, broadly speaking, you give the, the odd rare example of, like, truly art-led game or truly audio-led game, but that's more rare. Um, in a truly narrative-led game, you probably shouldn't be able to skip it, right? You probably should not be able to skip the writing uh, or story in Disco Elysium, right? Because there is not a game if you do that, right? And that's what it means for it to be led by that, like, the first the first needs of the player experience are created by narrative in that case, and the needs to deliver a narrative. In a design-led game, which most puzzle games are, uh, narrative comes second. It comes alongside art and the other things that add meaning to the experience, right? Like you could probably create most of these games in a gray box. Um, you know, you could probably create most of them, maybe not this one, but in a, on a 2D plane on, on, you know, you could Hazelden it, right? Um, yeah. If you really wish. And there's a man who will wring every last drop out of that rag. Every mm. last, he'll really go for it. He loves um, to juice a rag. He loves to juice a rag, does Alan Hazelden. We all know it. Um, sorry. Um, and, um, um, and in that case, any other kind of creative discipline that you're bringing to bear is either helping or it's distracting. Right. And, you know, portals, a great example of it all coming together where music, the audio, the, the narrative, the art all creates this kind of cohesive experience around this fundamental positive experience. It's all really coherent with each other. It feels great. It's, you know, a fantastic success. And other games in this territory have, you know, variously done really interesting and sometimes failed in that regard, right? Like Talos Principle would be one I'd call out as a success. It was very wordy sometimes and can be quite heavy. Um, 
lots of examples of it. And this this sounds to me like, because it sounds like you weren't sort of distracted by the visuals, for example, or we weren't distracted by the audio. So it sounds in this case that the narrative layer they've chosen to apply has like, rather than add to the experience, distracted you from it, which is like just a, you know, strikes me as a fairly straightforward um, issue. Maybe also a very subjective one that might not be the case for everybody. And if mm. that's the case, then skipping it's fine because it's ultimately not the purpose of the game, right? It's not the leading element of the game or the promised experience. Yeah, but I wonder if, I mean, would it have become more of the purpose of the experience had it been more cohesive, I suppose, is, is the question. Like, I, could, could it have married better? And for me to come away with it saying that, well, that narrative really enhanced what was otherwise uh, a slightly strange puzzle game. I think probably not because, mm. you know, it's, it's if, if this is a design-led puzzle game, then if the puzzles aren't very good, then, you know, that's like... It's, it's, it's exactly the same as if it were the other way around and the design was in service of a narrative, but the story wasn't very good, right? You know, mm -hmm. that's maybe a bit of a more familiar experience for games where you have something that is about selling you on a world and you kind of persevere for the story, but you don't really enjoy the mechanics. That happens, right? Yeah. Absolutely happens. Um, but uh, which is in itself like a way of kind of, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll say this, and I, apparently I can't stop banging on about this fucking game. Um I uh, I felt this way about Diablo. It has a real <laughs> slog in the middle. It really does. And I just settled into this rhythm of play where I stopped caring about loot. I stopped caring. I didn't need it. Um, I wasn't allowed to unlock a harder difficulty unless until I finished the game. So I just needed to get to the end of the game to make the game difficult. And so I, I didn't need loot. I didn't need to change my abilities. I didn't need to change how I played. Every The same thing worked in every scenario and against every boss until the very end of the game. And so in that sense, what I would argue is I effectively opted out of playing Diablo for a while to get to the end because if you don't care about loot and you don't care about how you're building your character and you don't care about how yeah. you fight then what are you doing and what i was doing was i actually was kind of invested in the story by the end and i wanted to find out how it ended and i wanted to get to a point at the end where i felt like i could make it fun for myself and like that is the same sort of like noping out of a part of the experience as literally going in the menu and switching off the story is frankly yeah yeah hmm I, just to fine tune my criticism of the puzzles, I do. Mm. I want to be clear that it's it's not that I want it to be hard. It's just that, like my personal view of puzzle games is that they are des they desire to be solved. It's it's like it's it's super easy to make a, a puzzle game which is way too hard, and that's completely ungratifying. But the puzzle games, at least the, the puzzle games that I like, are designed to teach you something sort of, you know, almost Socratically, one might say, and pose you questions about what you've been taught that then expand your understanding. And that process doesn't need to feel hard in any way. It just needs to feel like improvement, like expansion. Um, but this game just stops teaching you things, I think, is the problem. Mm. Um, and doesn't really have any questions to ask you. And that's my frustration with it. Mm. Sorry. Alas. Sorry, everybody. Alas. <laughs> oh, well. The rag remains juicy. <laughs> Dear, what will you do with that juicy rag? Mm, keep it in a box. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Yarnum with you. Go on, go on, touch the fucking crystal. I would love to. Help me touch that crystal, Chris. It looks delicious. Wanna... It does look delicious. It does, yeah. It, it does. Like it looks like it's full of like, candy. Uh, some kind mm. of mm, fruit juice of some sort. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that's a juicy rock you got there. Shame <laughs> if it transports you to fairyland. Um, <laughs> anyway, I truly have nothing else to add. 
End the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were doing that. Then I shall end the podcast. Very well. Excellent. If you, uh, we are taking some questions again, as Chris alluded to. If you'd like to send us a question, you can do so at questions at crickandcrowbar.com. Probably no point tweeting us or Xing us or whatever the fuck it is now. (laughs) All these recordings are uploaded as videos to YouTube. You can find other nonsense by us. The address for that is youtube.com slash crowbar. And thanks as always to our backers on Patreon. You can back us too at patreon.com slash crowbar, Or you can join our lovely Discord community, the link for which is on our website, crowbar.com. That's it. I've been Marsh Davis, and I'm going to transform into a hot water bottle full of piss. <laughs> I'm being Tom Senior, um, soon to return to being an irritating buzzing speaker. Or a poorly fridge. I'm Chris Thurston, and I'm going to transform into a cozy bedtime. Sleep well. Good night, everyone. My life is awful.